0: Ain't no telling why I'm finna be on, yeah, ayy. Well,
1: suffice to say, that is not what we expected here on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Penn State 42, Michigan 13, and we thank you for joining us anyway here on the following Monday episode. Penn State at 7-0, still ranked number two in the country. Sean and I, uh, our records are not so spotless after our predictions of a close game, physical game. I said I was shocked if either team scored 30. Penn State had broken more averages of Michigan's defense by halftime, yards, points, anything That was the performance they wanted, and
0: honestly, I think it's one that they needed. Yeah, they nailed it, and uh, the good thing is the people listening to this are not going to be as upset with us because of how it turned out, but wow, what a phenomenal performance by Penn State all around, um, offense, defense, you know, they had the hiccup where McSorley threw the the interception in the first, uh, late in the first quarter, and you thought things might turn around a little bit there. And they even did. Yeah, they, they did for a little bit. Penn State responded well, got that score before the end of the half, and and from there it was smooth sailing. I mean, we'll talk about it a little bit later, but yeah, Penn State on every in every facet you know, on Saturday night, you can't complain
1: about anything. Incompleteness is something we've heard about many times before, but it's one thing to put together all three phases against the Georgia State, even in Indiana. To do it against Michigan, when you're coming off a bye, a whiteout, everything is expected, and you still come through against that quality and tough of a team. You know, we can talk about their deficiency on offense all that you want. But it's a quality coaching staff. They've got, you know, good talent. And it really made a statement because, you know, you look at their schedule beforehand, there was no team that Penn State had played that you had said they should beat Penn State or they should have a close game with them. This was a game where you could make that contention. Penn State blew them out of the water anyway. And, you know, when it boils down to it, all six of their touchdowns were scored by the two players you're going to have
0: to carry them moving forward, Saquon Barkley and Trace McSorley. Stepped up big time from the start. I mean, Sa- Saquon Barkley taking that 69 yards on the second play of the game, set nice. the tone for the rest of it, and uh you got that one in there. And And definitely. Uh, really just kept Michigan on their heels. It's a very good defense. They're going to continue to put up good numbers against quality competition the rest of the year, I think, uh, because they have talent. But at at the same time, Penn State just came out, ran them over. Uh, The the, the offensive line had so much pressure on it going into the week. They stepped up and played by far their best game, their most complete game of the season. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's just uh, we're going to probably – skewer this and try to find you know questions because obviously Ohio State is lurking next weekend, but at the same time, it's just you gotta be pleased with this coming out of if you're a Penn State fan.
1: Right, like I said, this is the performance you wanted. I think it's one that the team needed. It's now officially in the books and you've got back to back road games that you know will ultimately determine in my mind, you know, how far they go at the end of the season. Because I don't think anyone expects Rutgers and Nebraska to come in and, and upset the balance for Penn State, but that's down the road more immediately in front of us. The other takeaway I had in addition to you know McSorley and Barkley carrying the day, defense of course was good at special teams, as we mentioned. Joe, Mc, uh, Joe McSorley, <laughs> <Ouch>. <laughs> happy Monday to me. Uh, Joe Moorhead, of course, you know, has been the same guy these last couple of weeks, but the results that his offense has produced have not been up to the standard that you would have expected from a guy who's so often labeled a genius. And that's not so much a discredit to him, it's just how defenses have been playing them. You know, Indiana – Gave up forty five points. Not all of them were offensive. Did an excellent job against Penn State. One of the best game plans I think I've seen, you know, since Moorhead's gotten here. Right. Northwestern limits them, you know, holds them in the thirties. Not a whole lot of yardage for McSorley. Barkley even less and it's a game where you go okay you know you're you're happy if you're a fan to have that defense but in this game with an extra week to prepare against a defensive coordinator that you know a year ago and again different circumstances really just laid the wood to that that offense and that offensive line it was a big statement early they had the wrinkles of course which we knew coming in they were successful and their base plays too ultimately are what got the job done you
0: saw those runs that McSorley scored on those aren't new right right yeah and I think that's that's a great point because you talk about all the new wrinkles and and of course, you know the the not wildcat as you you know would label it. Uh, yeah, I'm going to yeah. get that out of the way now because okay. you Go know it. it's coming. People I, who
1: follow me on Twitter know it's coming. This is not a huge deal, but it's bob just it up there, it's man. it's one that's made worse because James was so adamant about labeling it the wildcat, which I guess back in 2015 when I was not on the beat, this was kind of a point of contention for why is the offense running the wildcat, in the old John Donovan days, and you know I remember. I, those were, that was my first year writing tail of tape. And for me, I never complained about it except for when that was their wrinkle two years ago of actually running the Wildcat against Michigan when their defense was better and it was like you had two weeks and this is what you're trotting out, single-wing football. Right. Now, there's nothing wrong with single-wing football. The only issue here is what they ran against Michigan over the weekend was not the Wildcat because it was just a direct snap to Barkley. The Wildcat involves an unbalanced line, meaning you have an extra offensive tackle or lineman to one side where you've got three next to the center, to the right or left, and then just the standard two. They never brought out an extra offensive lineman. You also typically have some sort of jet sweep motion. This was to say, hey, Trace, Saquon, why don't you switch? And that's exactly what they did. The responsibilities, the roles, the assignments were all the same across the board. This was no wildcat, no matter what James said.
0: The important thing here is they crushed it. I mean, Barkley just... 69 yards untouched. Uh, it was just a phenomenal way to start in a, in an atmosphere that was just uh, incredible. Once again, I mean, 110,000 plus Beaver Stadiums. Uh, excuse me, Be- Beaver Stadium attendance record. Uh, you can't say enough about the crowd, and, and it does matter in games like this. And I think Penn State will see that when they go to Ohio Stadium next week. Uh, you know, just a, the atmosphere can add a couple points either way. And um, but yeah, it, it certainly benefited Penn State. What I wanted, what I, my biggest takeaway was that front seven, uh, Penn State's front seven, obviously the, the, le- the least types of the two, yes. um, they came out and controlled the game in the second half. They were just all over John O'Corn, who gave them a little bit of a, uh, of a shock running in the first half. He really didn't expect to see that. We talked to Ryan Buckholtz about it afterwards. You know, they weren't completely caught off guard, but at the same time, you don't expect O'Corn to take off and pick up chunks of yardage, pick up the first downs, things like that. Um. But, but besides that, that front seven just ran things. I mean, they were able to pin their ears back, get at the quarterback. They brought some pressure from the second level. They even brought some pressure from from the off the corner. Christian Campbell forced the fumble. Robert Windsor hopped on it, so just uh, I'm almost more impressed with Penn State's defensive effort. And granted, Michigan's offense not all that great, Um, but uh, but Penn State's defensive effort just having guys in the right spot, uh, complementing each other. uh, And the linebackers were very good. We 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 had talked about on the podcast last week that the linebackers could be the difference maker, and, and they certainly were. Right. Three linebackers finished in the top four tacklers with Penn State, along with Marcus Allen.
1: You figure like you could book that for every week of the season when it comes to this team. It hadn't totally come to fruition. But in their biggest game of the season, all three of them came through. Of course, Allen did. I'm glad you brought up third down because, you know, in my tail of tape research, John O'Corn in the second half, when he dropped back to pass on first and 10, one of seven for 16 yards and two sacks. Third downs as a whole for the entire game, 11 out of Michigan's 16
0: third downs, we had at least 5 or more yards to go. Yeah, down and distance so important. I mean, you just knock them off schedule and, and Michigan's offense isn't one that's built to come from behind. It's not scored it's not scored a ton of points this season and it's not built to score a ton of points. They're going to come out and smash you in the mouth. You said that uh, Penn State's three linebackers were in the top four in terms of uh, of their tackle numbers, and I think that's exactly how it should be for a Michigan offense. So last year, Penn State just was not filling those gaps, was not getting where they needed to be. They were this year. I mean, Kabinda was all over the place. Uh, you know, I, I think you give him the defensive game ball. Right, we haven't gotten to that yet, but but Kabinda was very good. Hypothetically, Manny, Manny Bowen was all <laughs> over the place. Koa Farmer, who you mentioned, has not logged the snaps and, and and had the impact that we thought that he might. He was also in there, so. You just can't say enough about. It. I think Brent Pry's game plan phenomenal. Just on, on top of everything, and that fast start makes it so much easier. Ninety to nothing right now for Penn State in the first quarter of this season, uh, which is just crazy when you think about where they were at this time last year and beyond. I mean, they they weren't a good first quarter team when they were winning, so
1: or just think I mean, about the stat itself. I yeah. mean, imagine going through seven of your games, let alone the first seven in a row, and holding your opponents scoreless. You know, they've had the whole week just you have had to prepare. Game plan, get ready, you know, take a lucky bounce and convert it into a couple quick points. This is not even a field goal that they've managed. Alabama hasn't done this. No defense in the
0: country has managed to hold opponents scoreless in the first quarter. They got close. They had, what, the th- the three-yard line in the last play, yeah. the first quarter? So they <laughs> yeah. got close. But, yeah, right. I mean, it's it, it's been a credit to the defense and, and I think the approach that they've taken getting their uh, you know Franklin said it after the game they, they, they focus so much on being a second half team and, and trying to remedy that that it just kind of worked itself out and obviously going into a situation that Ohio State's going to be very different so you don't know that they'll keep that goose egg but at the same time I mean that's that's one to hang your hat on if you're Brent Pry. that's a phenomenal stat right there.
1: Last thing in 42-13 to 13 before we put a bow on it and add our game balls staying in the trenches but on the opposite side of the ball offensive Line beyond the fact that we can sit here and say they were very good because Barkley had success, McTorley had time. You look at the tackle for loss numbers because generally speaking, the last year and a half, that has been their biggest issue, just negative plays, which are going to stunt drives, if they're going to stall them, they're just going to end them before they really get going. Seven tackles for loss against this defense is very impressive. It's even more impressive when you consider two weeks ago at Northwestern when you've got maybe one you know standout player in that front seven, they allowed 13. It's a big credit to Will Fries, who started every single snap of right tackle. It's a big credit to the preparation they put in, because Michigan runs a lot of unusual fronts. I, of course, talk about Don Brown here plenty on the podcast. James did, you know, for minutes at a time on Tuesday at his his press conference, and it's just a defense that they knew they had to prepare for, did obviously allowed some plays, but you've got a couple of future draft picks up there, at least with Maurice Hurst Jr., who's going to go in the first round next April, and then, you know, Rayshon Gary, perhaps some others, but they
0: did a great job of doing what they needed to do and it was their best performance of the season yeah just think how many times we heard Rayshon Gary's name or even Devin Bush who you know he's certainly one of the most physically talented guys out there in terms of going to get drafted at some point but uh, these guys were almost non-factors and and Maurice Hurst was was a factor I mean he was probably their best defensive player yes at at the same time I mean Penn State's interior offensive line which had struggled getting out and, and getting in front of Barkley uh, you know, they set the tone from the start and they kept going. We were talking to Brendan Mann after the game and and we asked him uh, about that touchdown run and what happened. He's like, man, you just love to see 26 in front of you. I mean, that's, yeah, and that's yeah. the whole thing. And that hasn't been the case this year. They got where they need to be. They were physical. Will Fries, I know you've gone through the tape. Um, you know, I haven't gotten gotten around to seeing Will Fries. But man, to get that out of a redshirt freshman uh, is, is going to be very valuable for them moving forward and, and in the present as well. Okay. Game ball time. I'm going with Trace. Uh, I know there's there's so much you could spread that around. Obviously, Barkley set the tone and he's been phenomenal because he's Saquon Barkley. But at the same time, McSorley as a runner, I think, made the biggest difference. Three rushing touchdowns. He he was not easy to bring down that that uh, touchdown in in the south end zone. Uh, was, Third quarter, yeah, it was that was pretty that was pretty nifty. And, and you you ran it back, and you saw the blocking that he got. It was it was great by the offensive line. You know they're they're hitting their marks and and doing everything. But you know Trace has gotten that extra yard when he's needed to. Uh, you know not completely on point as a passer, but he got the ball where he needed to get more more often than not. And you know you take it away. as the national offensive player of the week? So I am going to go with him.
1: Yeah, I think it's an easy call. Give it to McSorley. And in addition to all that, you know, you cite the numbers and statistics. I think just the natural flow of the game and the defense that he was facing, you know, it's obviously a great defense. It puts a lot of stress on the quarterback. Simply from a pressure standpoint, they blitzed about 60% of the time coming in action. That number is still the same after they left Beaver Stadium. Unusual fronts, things he's going to have to ID, be aware of. Starts out the first quarter with an interception, and that was, on. you know, soon after they had scored uh, with Saquon on the 69-yard run, and you're thinking, you know, you, you got to bounce back a little bit. Bit, but that's an easy time to kind of punish yourself over that because it was a clear miscommunication between he and Gasicki. you know McSorley didn't do that and even at the end of the first half I mean this this struck me thinking about the game the next day and that you're you're 14-13 with a minute 45 left to go in the first half. A very different game than the one we now all remember at 42 to 13, because McSorley then executed a drive that, that surpassed O'Corns. O'Corns had a great drive to to bring that within one point and, and goes and answers with his own touchdown. Not only does he do that, but 21 to 13. Then in the early in the second half, tacks on that exact touchdown run you were talking about and takes it in and just the mental toughness of this kid, yeah, it's a home game, yeah, it's a out. you have every reason to be in a good mood. But there's just a constant stress Michigan puts on you. And he he just passed every test with flying colors, played an outstanding game, um, and bounced back from a slow start. Big so <laughs>
0: I love what James Franklin had to say afterwards about keeping the field wide. I mean Michigan wanted to to funnel everything in it, and Penn State was running those smash fades to, to Hamilton having some success. And of course they didn't on the fourth down. Uh but they, they kept things wide, they kept it wide open, then they boom, they hit him right with the slants, they kept uh, you know, they kept those defensive backs on their heels and i just thought phenomenal game plan and, and Trace was the guy that, that that made it happen.
1: And this is pointed out on Twitter, like his his misses are so obvious because his, his generally his throws are so good. I mean, you look those those fades in particular to Hamilton up the sideline, twenty six yards, thirty seven yards in the first half, just dimes and good catches by Hamilton because it's tight coverage. But the ball's got to be there in the first place for him to make the catch. He did, and, and McSorley just kept chucking, as you said, um, was National Offensive Player of the Week. So that's
0: the easiest game ball call. I think we might have to make. All year. no doubt. Honorable mention front seven as they ran things in the second yeah. half. Just phenomenal. You can't break it down to one guy because the, the, the stats are so far spread across this defense. And the tackle numbers are mostly with the linebackers and Marcus Allen, as they will be. But at the same time, the pressure was there. Buckholz had the sack, Kabinda, Bowen, uh Shacotone ended up with a sack. And Eight
1: different guys with at least a half sack.
0: Yeah, that's that's pretty phenomenal right there and and, and the pressure was there all night. O'Corns not going to kill you. I he played better than I thought he would, no doubt, but he, he's not going to kill you and that, that front 7 just did some phenomenal things. Also, Blake Gilligan did some phenomenal things. I was going to say, we need almost, a special edition. Almost as good as his post-game <laughs> tweet, which is already our tweet of the week. I don't even know what's going to come the rest of the week, but this was great.
1: Yeah, we don't do this on Mondays. We'll have it again on, on Friday, Blake, but we couldn't let this
0: go. Blake Gilligan tweeting three singular airplane emojis uh, in honor of his former uh, Penn State commitless classmate, Quinn Nordine. uh I mean that's that's some serious shade right there, and it's phenomenal. <laughs> now
1: I, I'm sure most of the listeners know exactly what went on there. It had to be explained to me coming on late and not following recruiting at that stage. But really quick, why the airplanes were pertinent to Nordine and a guy who also
0: missed his first PAT back in Beaver Stadium. Quinn Nordine uh, originally committed to Penn State, and and let me tell you, let me say this: this is this kid is. Leg talent-wise, the best kicker that I've probably covered since Anthony Farah. Um, so this kid can can get it done. Um, he committed to Penn State. Of course, in an infamous video of him boarding a private jet, um, coming home in the background playing and of course committing to Penn State he's from Michigan so eventually he flipped and and I told the people at the time the class really not sorry to see him go and and you hate to say that about a kid but he just didn't handle the situation all that well his uh, the Penn State commits were not all that sad to see him go he was replaced with Alex Barbier who's just not as talented as as Quinn Nordine but at the same time um, it's a locker room thing, and, and he ended up at Michigan. Of course, the infamous sleepover from Harbaugh and all that kind of stuff. And like I said, this this kid's got an NFL leg, but man, he came out uh, for, I believe, the second uh, PAT, and Penn State student section let him have it. I mean, they yep. were... They were audibly booing. And, and we're in a in an area where the sound doesn't travel as well as, as the people out there, but you could definitely hear it. And I don't know if, he, if it got to him, but man, he shanked that extra point and and was a non-factor. So Blake Gillikin's three singular uh, airplane emojis. Uh, that was pretty damn funny, man. At his,
1: at his one-time boy, no longer, hasn't been for quite some time. Yes. But yes. they're quite happy with their kicking situation. You know, Tyler Davis would we haven't mentioned him. Didn't attempt a field goal, but knocks in all the PATs. I wrote about it over the bye week why Penn State is not concerned at all about what he's doing. You know, from a mental toughness standpoint of preparation, he's as steady as they come. We don't have
0: anything more to add because we'll got, have to wait to see till he kicks in Ohio State. Got a tackle, too. And yeah. With, with Joe Julius. I saw Joe Julius on the sideline. Great to see him there. Um, but, and by the way, a ton of Letterman. Just, just. Packed. I mean, it was Letterman recruits, uh, game day crew and all that kind of stuff. Sidelines were just jammed. I don't know how they did it. 110 recruits uh, on hand as we get into the recruiting segment. Here. Yeah, might as well take it from you. Yeah, I mean, that was just, it, it was a crazy number. I saw some of the, the Penn State Ops guys afterwards and they were tired and they should be. <laughs> 110, <laughs> 20 kids in the 2019 class. And, and we'll talk about 2018 here in a minute. But 2019 class, having 20 kids that they have offered on hand, I don't know what to compare it to because I haven't seen it at Penn State. I've been covering recruiting since 2006. So um, it's been just uh, a phenomenal effort from that staff, seven full-time recruiting staff, plus uh, the the on-field coaching staff in Franklin and and all the volunteers and the the recruiting hostesses and everything like that. It's just a phenomenal um, effort on their part. Of course, the atmosphere helps, no doubt about it. Um, these guys that we've talked to, you're rarely going to get some sort of uh, negative feedback from them. So uh, everybody we've talked to has, has been great. Just to highlight a couple of these guys, um, two quarterbacks were on hand that that I think uh, Penn State feels very, uh, you know, very good about where they stand. Uh, Taquan Roberson from New Jersey and Garrett Trader from from uh, Charlotte. I have crystal ball picks in for both of them. Yeah, we get to talk Friday about it. Yeah, I think Penn State will take two quarterbacks in 2019 um, okay. I don't think it's necessarily a given given the, the the limited space but I think if these are the two guys you want these are the two guys you can get and i think it's possible that they can see them playing off each other yeah kind of not different style quarterbacks but uh, one's six four kid one's a six foot kid a little bit more of an athlete uh, both ways for those guys so um yeah I think Penn State's in a really good spot coming out of that in terms of quarterbacks. Um, corners. I mean, Penn State had, I think, five or six corners that they've offered in the twenty in the twenty nineteen class. I don't know if any of them are on top of the board. Marquise Wilson's a guy that they love up in Connecticut, but I mean, just to get these guys in, there were three in from Georgia. Um, DJ Turner was up, KJ Wallace. Um, I just. To get these guys even up, just as a testament right. to how Penn State is playing at, at, you know, at cornerback or in the defensive backfield right now. Uh, threw in a crystal ball pick for Noah Potter, uh, defensive end from Ohio. This kid, a uh, very big kid, uh, going to grow into uh, you know, one of those Ryan Buckholz type guys. He can play, eventually play a little three technique, but he's a defensive end. Um, other than that, uh, su- surprised to see Savion Jackson make it up from North Carolina. 24-7 Sports has him as the number 15 player in the country. I don't think people um, you know, have maybe followed him as closely. He's a little bit quieter in the recruiting process. So um, to get him up again, he was up for the Blue-White Games, is another big thing. Um, and then you've got some local guys. I mean, you just hammered the uh, WCAC, one of the, the, the top conferences uh, in the country in terms of, of, of private schools. Um, Dean Ingram was there, Joseph Wete from Gonzaga, um, Shane Lee, who used to play at St. At John's College, now plays at St. Francis in Baltimore. Uh, just getting these guys up just repeatedly, and, and I'm looking at the list, there's 20 kids on here that Penn State has offered, and I think there's probably two or three that haven't been on campus multiple times so far, so right. um, it's just a testament to what they're doing. Course, I haven't even gotten to Zach Harrison? Yeah, I haven't even gotten to Zach Harrison, who's a man. I mean, this guy is He's huge. I mean, he's, he's six. Four, uh, excuse me, six six two forty. Um, every bit of it, and, he, and you know, he's he's every bit of looking at like a five star. I mean, he's going to get there as a player eventually. But uh, to get Zach Harrison back on campus, I think you know he, he's fifteen or twenty minutes away from uh, Ohio State. That's going to be tough to, to overcome, but at the end of the day, if he keeps coming back to Penn State, he's got some family support because they're not uh, Buckeye lifers. We talked about it last week. They're not yeah. Buckeye lifers. And Similar situation to Tyree Smith, who, who visited this weekend. Um, so If you can get him to keep coming back, you've got a shot because you made a tremendous impression already. Um, you, you get that program going in the right direction, and, and you never say that it's one game, but this Penn state, Ohio state game, I think has some implications in terms of, you know, if Ohio state loses this game, there are two loss program, Penn state's an undefeated program. That, I think that that's sort of, um, You know, echoes a little bit more with recruits than just one singular game, but this is a very important game coming up for Penn State, and and we'll see if they can roll it over. Uh, Beyond that, 2020's uh, Brian Brzee, number one overall player, number four overall player, Chris uh, Tyree, number one cornerback uh, Sheridan Jones from Virginia came up, and Drew Pine, who's... You know, just got a great offer list for a 2020 quarterback. Uh, he was in town all, as well. So, I mean, just uh, some some great feedback from these guys so far, uh, as you would expect coming out of an opportunity, a like, uh, recruiting opportunity like that. Uh, I'd say just the early returns. Penn State's knocked it out of the park. I wouldn't be surprised to see a little bit of movement coming out uh, on the commitment front in the next week or two. Sure. Okay, you've kept the people waiting long enough. 2018, any movement? No movement right now, which is actually what we expected. Tyreek Smith um, is the guy to watch. Quantel Reigns also in town, but right now I think Penn State has their focus elsewhere uh, in terms of position. You're looking at Tyreek Smith. You're looking at Jason Owe. Uh, Michael Parsons still on the board. Rasheed Walker still on the board. So I think he's probably five or six. Uh, Solomon Ines, uh Curtis's boy, is also in there as well. So. Um, I think you're looking a little bit lower on the list for Quantel Reigns, but Tyreek Smith is a guy that they've been in on for a long time, and they're in for the long haul. I mean, he's going to announce at the Under Armour game in January after taking his Penn State official in December when the weekend that all the commits in. I think that could be, you know, a, a, a sizable advantage for Penn State. He will also see Ohio State, Penn State this weekend. So, you know, in his head, is he is he talking program direction or anything like that? And I don't see Ohio State going down or falling off or anything no, like no. that, especially under. And Meyer, but at the same time, Penn State could really help itself uh, again this weekend. So 2018, sort of par for the course where we've been the last couple of weeks. Um, you know, you, you, they went down and saw Rasheed Walker. They, they're going to go out, or excuse me, they went and saw Jason Owe play in Mercersburg And, uh, you know, they're just all over the place. They've got options, which is a great thing that, I mean, if you're talking about adding maybe two or three more guys at the most, you've got these options. You, you're doing a good thing. All right. Is that all? Is that it? You don't have any more. I need a drink, man. Uh, yeah, no. Four <laughs> ways than one. Uh, Penn State's gonna build on this. This this white out uh this opportunity, this uh you know, this spectacle that they've sorta of put together and it's gonna benefit them for a long time. And that's talking 2019, 2020, even twenty one, uh twenty twenty one kids were there. So uh yeah, I mean these these guys, freshmen, sophomores in high school, um, they're they're gonna benefit from it from these th- from with these guys. So uh just a <laughs> phenomenal effort by You know, not only the coaches that you know, but also the coaches that you don't hear about. Sure. Okay. The one coach we all know, James Franklin, press conference
1: tomorrow, looking from far down the road to right in front of our faces, predict the presser. Uh, we haven't done this in a couple of weeks because there hasn't been a Tuesday weekly press conference uh, that we've you know been able to sit down for beforehand and predict. We took the last Monday of episode off. To this listen. Yeah. right, right, right. It's this is uh, the favorite. So skip uh, through the recruiting part, what, 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 what Sean and I do is offer quick predictions about what James will say because coaches, if anything, are, are creatures of habit here on planet Earth as we all are, but football coaches in particular. Uh, our predictions for players of the week, as Penn State always picks after a win. Michigan, of course, was a win, and then one special mention of what we think Franklin will offer to the media, which, of course, will then be shared across Twitter from about, what is it, 1230? I mean, the tweet storm just never ends. Basically, So um, I have some different picks this week because not intentionally going out on a limb, but I think when you consider the circumstances of Michigan, where some of these players had come from, and then combine that with their actual performance, I think you're going to see the following earned players of the week. The entire offensive line. And if it's going to go to one, it might be Will Fries. But I think as a whole, they did an excellent job controlling Maurice Hurst Jr., who only had one tackle. It was a sack. Uh, but as I mentioned, only seven TFLs, cutting that number in half for Northwestern. Defensively, Jason Kabinda, 13 stops for him. He had a forced fumble. He had a sack. That seems to me like a lockdown pick. Special teams, Irv Charles. No penalty. And he was really up and down the field, as you would expect. Kick returns, you know, punt return coverage. And just the guy that you know, James even singled out post game as someone who's been tremendously valuable to the team that really doesn't get a whole lot of recognition because offensively his impact really hasn't been there but special teams you know because Gilkin has only a couple of points Tyler Davis doesn't attempt to feel think this is uh, Irv Charles week to shine in the Tuesday
0: Presser and that will help him Irv has been a guy that's he's struggled with confidence issues James Franklin mentioned he's not playing on offense as much as he would like to so getting him a confidence boost like that I could see that happening um, but I, I'm I'm gonna match you on Jason Cabinda uh, I think there, you know, the front seven in itself uh, deserves it, but you can't really pin it on one guy. So, uh, but I'll, I'll go with Kabinda. Uh, Trace I mentioned as the game ball. I like your pick as the offensive line because that, you know, in terms of expectation versus reality, we talked about last week. Penn State would be happy with a tie up front. they would be ecstatic with a yeah. tie up front. That didn't happen. I mean, they won. They won that battle. So, um, I, I like your pick with the offensive line, but I'm going to go with Trace um, and. I just I keep going back to Blake Gilligan, non-tweet related. Um, okay, yeah. yeah, well, partially non-tweet related at least. Um, yeah, Gilligan got them out of trouble uh, in the first half. Uh, just killed the ball. Just absolutely killed the ball. And uh, he's just as good as I've seen at Penn State. I got a question on Twitter during the game. <laughs> Um, whether whether is this best should have, been, this should have last, been tweet of the week in the last ten years, and I don't watch enough punters to know that, but I, I've watched enough Penn State punters to know that Blake Gilligan's the best I've seen, and it's not changing my mind anytime soon. About is he that. the
1: best in the last five years
0: nationally? Sure, why not? (laughs) You know what's funny though? And
1: just a quick sidebar I wrote about Blake and and why I think he's the best punter in the Big Ten and and certainly in the conversation nationally and came up with some weird advanced punting metrics. But in doing so, reflected on what had the criteria been for winning the Right Guy Award, which is annually given to the best punter in the country. Utah's won it the last couple of years. And and the most commonly used stats are either, you know, of course, how far can you kick it, average yards per punt, and then how many do you down inside the 20? So when you take the number of punts that have gone 50 yards, and those that have gone inside the 20, Blake is around like 90%, maybe a little bit above for the season, which is very, very good. The guy who won it last year was at an even 100. So there are some outstanding punters out there in case you were wondering, a lot of them Australia. You weren't, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Lefties, man, that whole thing. So Nathan it,
0: Chapman doing a phenomenal
1: job. To, to me, it was one of the instances of you think about, you know, the media, of course, just as you just said yourself. Like, there's not a whole lot of attention paid to punters, just on a, a shallow level. But even when you want to go a little bit deeper, it, it was no accident that the longest distance you know typically won the right guy award you know you had to go back to about 09 to when a punter won it with a yards per punt average less than gilligan's current average i swear this is going to wrap up in five seconds before <laughs> everyone quits on us um but he's been very good and i don't think he's going to win the award but it is interesting because there will be a huge punting battle going on uh saturday because ohio states you mentioned australia they they have a guy who would be what Gilligan has been for Penn State this season, down to every last kick. So that'll be fun. Yeah. Uh, but he's not winning a special teams player of the week. In addition, I just talked about Ohio State special teams. That is my separate prediction for this week. You know, we're, I'm currently up uh, 15 to 14 on you in terms of quick predictions. Cool. I'm not feeling good about my picks this week, but I think... James will make some sort of a side about respect for them or how they've been successful in different phases you know, punting, kicking, returning
0: they've been very good all around I think we hear about that tomorrow Yeah, we've heard about it last year as well Um, and then of course the block kick and and the things happen and you don't see that from Urban Meyer teams and I think that's something that's been pounded into our head you just don't and then all of a sudden you did and and it's it's set that game on its head and and certainly went from there I'm going with Will Fries Uh, special shout out for him uh, first, uh, you know, first game that he's played every single snap. And we talked to Brendan Mann um, after the game a little bit about it. And he said, you know, it's not really, it's not really bringing him along as a redshirt freshman or anything like that. No handholding. He's, he's been around. Yeah. The handholding is not so much there, but he's been able to, uh, sort of soak in from the guy beside him and, and go with things. Well, I wasn't sure if Will Fries would be a guy that moved people this early in his career, um, but yeah, he's stepped up and he's just a redshirt freshman. I think that the, the, they think the world of him at tackle and to supplant, uh, not only Andrew Nelson, but also Chaz Wright, I think it says a lot about what they think about him.
1: Yeah. Cause he had not been practicing at right tackle at all, right? Like this was a switch made midseason, both on the field on Saturdays and in practice. So the, the growth for him, I think that's partly the part that excites you most if you're on that staff is just, he's been. Pretty good now. Just imagine what well, he might be down the stretch, just as you found out from Ryan Bates and Chaz Wright a year ago, both of whom you know played more guard at the beginning of last season when they eventually started at tackle in the Big Ten Championship game in Rose Bowl. Not to say that's where they're going now or Will Fries will you know end up following a similar path, but at least the early stages mirror up. Yeah, exactly what, right. what's, what's yeah. been happening. Um on to Ohio State. We only do a quick preview of the upcoming opponent on Mondays. We'll get more into this on Friday. Matchups, breakdowns, X and O stuff, all that. Uh, but they had a bye week last week. So they're at 5-1 um, offensively. You know, it starts with JT Parrott. It has for seemingly a decade. He's been better. I think is my point. When you look at a lot of the different statistics, Penn State beat them last year largely by daring them to throw deep and having tight enough coverage to disrupt their downfield passing game. He missed a couple of throws, much better short to intermediate, and like any other quarterback, um, better when he's not pressured. Penn State, I think, can get there occasionally, and their coverage has been tighter, but. You know, he's also raised his level, uh, his game, and it'll be interesting to see what they do with, it, with the next week to prepare because we saw what it did for Penn
0: State against Michigan. Crazy to think that a month ago a lot of uh, Ohio State fans and some recruits were calling for Dwayne Haskins to replace uh, that was yeah. Some recruits. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. Um, well, there was a couple. But anyway, um, it, it's definitely a, a credit to Barrett. and I think he's a, a, great fo- a great college football player. Um, but, yeah, I think you're going to have to make him beat you down the field. Uh, where Penn State, or excuse me, where Ohio State likes to make its money is on those crossing routes, those drags and pound the flats and keep things short to intermediate, as you mentioned. So um, Penn State's got to up its game. I mean, you saw Michigan got, um, you know, got got some things going when they went across the field when they brought those receivers in, in you know not in motion, but you know it picked them off and and went with some different approaches there. So uh, I think there's going to be a tremendous amount of pressure on the secondary, not so much because you know they're going to get beat down the field by Barrett, but You know, you got to stick on those guys because they have such great athletes on the edge. Paris Campbell, man, Paris Campbell can fly. So you get such great athletes on the edge. Where you miss a tackle, you can be in trouble.
1: And in the running game too, J.K. Dobbins. I mean, he has lived up to any hype expectations. I think exceeded anything anyone said. Penn State
0: wanted to flip him um, last year. Of course, they didn't have a running back in the class last mm -hmm. year, and DeAndre Swift was a guy that they they pursued for most of the time. And Dobbins was hurt, so they were you know sort of hoping that Ohio State would maybe take a step back from him. And obviously, they didn't. And obviously, that. was the right move for Ohio State so um yeah that was uh that was certainly one that uh Penn State would love to get a second shot at even though they didn't really have much of a shot so but yeah Dobbins has been phenomenal I mean he's just uh he went in there and took the starting job and know there's a couple other things that play there but at the same time I mean you, you can't argue with the production from J.K. Dobbins.
1: I mean, he's powerful. He's fast. You know, he, he's good in short space. He's just a total package, which you wouldn't expect from refreshments, which might sound silly because if any p- fan base were to, it would be, you know, people who have just watched Saquon Barkley the last two years. And this isn't to compare the two, but his instant impact for that, you know, high quality team. And he's got a good run blocking offensive line in front of him. But right. just the raw talent there, I think, is going to be a little bit of a shock early on in
0: Columbus for Penn State's defense because they have not seen anyone like him yet it's funny to see the comparisons of, of Dobbins against Barkley whereas it was Barkley against Zeke Elliott you know when he yeah. came into town so it, it's sort of like a role reversal there but just all top of the class running backs all around in, in the last couple of years it's been fun to watch it really mm-hmm. has okay
1: I expect Penn State to challenge routes as they did a year ago you know I think you saw in the opener, which again this game is not terribly relevant, but it serves the purposes of this conversation. Ohio State's at Indiana to start the season. Indiana is always going to challenge those routes. They had success. We're up at halftime, and then Campbell just breaks a long touchdown. Indiana can't do anything offensively. You know, even have a couple more turnovers, but that's how I think they could get Penn State to back off or any defense to is you get some of those crossing routes and miss tackle. Penn State's been better in that area, but you know who knows what might happen in the first couple of quarters and what will be you know a similar whiteout environment for them because I think every Buckeye
0: fan knows if they lose this, they're out of the college football playoff race. Oh, biggest game in the Big Ten by far. I mean, yeah. no doubt about it. So yeah, that that atmosphere is going to be crazy. And you're right they they have to challenge those roots because what Ohio State has done to so many teams is just wear them down not so much physically, but they have so much talent and so much depth that you're just throwing reinforcements out there. I mean, you're just you're, you're just coming in in different waves with uh, on, on both sides of the ball, and it's just worn teams down. You saw it against Indiana earlier this season. I mean, just the the talent gap just shows itself by the end of an Ohio State game. So um, yeah, I think that's 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 one thing where Penn State has has closed that talent gap. I don't know that they're there yet, but at the same time, I mean, it's it, it's one of those things where. If anybody's going to beat Ohio State in Ohio in Columbus, it's going to be Penn State. Right.
1: You mentioned the talent, the depth. How they come at you in waves. No position group for them embodies that more than the defensive line. It's the same D-line that dominated Penn State, frankly, a year ago. They were able to work around it a little bit. Um, we all know how that game ended, but it really wasn't the offense's night to shine. It didn't need it to be. They need to do a better job in Columbus this year, but it's, of course, as I mentioned, going to be a taller task because this defensive line is back. It's better, it's faster, it's stronger, and, you know, when Penn State takes the field, it's, it's all going to start up front with them.
0: Yeah, no doubt, and that's where it always starts, especially, I mean, Urban Meyer teams, especially with Larry Johnson there. I mean, they're they're going to pound away at that offensive line. They've 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 watched the tape, and obviously Penn State's offensive line should have a little bit more confidence coming out of this Michigan game. But at the yeah. same time, they're going to throw waves at them. I mean, they're they're, they're going to stun them. They're going to make them try and think, and they're going to come with those ends right at Will Fry's. So I mean, you know, he had a great week this week, but he's still a redshirt freshman. So um, yeah, it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be one of those games where where Ohio State's just gonna probably control up front and penn state's got to account for that and you know luckily for penn state what they've been able to do is if barkley's not working something else is so and, and right. they've been able to um you know they've been able to lose out on one uh, facet of their offense but sort of make up for it with another um and
1: not shoot themselves in the foot right I mean, that that will sink your ship fastest in columbus is a turnover early couple of penalties and nullify a score bring you back lose the field position battle and then you're just uphill from the get-go against the team that wants to It's years back anyway. That defensive line, though, I think the other... The difference you'll see from them to Michigan, which Michigan's defensive front is excellent, but just the level of athleticism, which I think holds true across the D-line, but also the entire defense. I mean, they saw some very good athletes at Michigan, and it's not an entirely new level, but just front to back. I mean, these kids can all run. They can all hit. They can all tackle. The linebackers are a little bit smaller in certain spots, but they're going to cover, and I think they'll have better confidence in Barkley one-on-one, not to say that's not a mismatch. In the secondary, they're extremely active, lost a couple of first-round picks uh, or early draft picks at corner but you know they're right up there with Penn State in terms of pass breakups per game and that's a credit you know to, to their coaching of course and, the, and their approach but also just the fact that they're they can
0: be in your hip pocket simply because athletically they match up with anybody yeah i think they're the obviously the most athletic team in the Big 10 and They've lost a couple guys too, and they just throw throw more bodies in. I mean, it's just uh, it's sort of a renewable resource in Columbus, so uh, it's a testament to the way they've recruited. And yeah, I think it's it's by far the biggest test, but that's not anything. I mean, we're not telling you anything special there.
1: So. No, that's why we do the generic stuff Mondays, and then Perfect. we dive into the nitty gritty on uh, Fridays. We always end Mondays and Fridays with a mailbag. A couple of questions this week leading off: Did Penn State's defense do anything special in the second half, or are they saving wrinkles? For Ohio State, I love this idea of wrinkles because it comes up all the time. You know, before the season, what's going to be new in the playbook? What's it going to look like? You know, the bottom line is it's it's mostly just spinoffs of what they do anyway. Because you just imagine trying to teach you know an eighteen year old something entirely new, let alone a freshman who might be starting or a sophomore. Like the wrinkles are important if they pay off immediately, but long term, I mean, you look at that exact Barkley taking the direct snap. Michigan solved it immediately after the touchdown; like it was no issue. So, defensively, yes. You if you read Tale of Tape, which was published um, this morning, you will see some different blitzes that I that I saw from Penn State. John Accord mentioned that they had shown the offense a little bit different looks. That of course is a production of the bye week, but also the fact that, you know, just like any other team midseason, you don't necessarily have new wrinkles. You just have parts of the playbook you haven't dusted off since the, the summer. And that's exactly what they're drawing on now because yes, it serves as a change up, but it's also something effective because the reason it's in the playbook in the first place is it is it draws, you know, on your strengths
0: as a team and something you think will work. Yeah, James Franklin mentioned this after the game the other day. I mean, they they do a lot of work in camp that they don't necessarily touch and if you can save that and, and not to say Penn State's been You know, crazy holding out or anything like that. But they've been holding some stuff. They've been holding some stuff back, no doubt about it. I think that that's that's true for the defensive side of the ball. So, um, yeah, I think we do see some some stuff. um, You know, you tend to go a little bit more conservative on the road, and you uh, you know, especially in a place like the Horseshoe. But yeah, you can break out some new things. You can you can get some new looks, and uh, yeah, I mean, I think you almost have to if you're going on the road uh, to Ohio State. Yeah, I don't think they're going to hold back at all. I mean,
1: they Why they know you? it's I mean, on the line. Yeah. They've been aggressive all season. It's worked for them. You know, again, if they, if they Campbell Springs loose for a touchdown, it's you, you might. In the water boy, <laughs> can't hold anything back now. Yeah, yeah. very good, topical. Um, but uh, you know, the only instance which I see, you know, Brent Pry again, we're specifically talking about the defense here pulling back as if you know a particular blitz or aggression starts to get to them. And Ohio State, for whatever reason, has picked up on a particular tendency or down a distance that they're calling this, and they're able to dump it in the opposite direction and get it for a big game. But otherwise, they're going to do what they've done all year. that's makes up their calls, their pressures. And, and their playbook is as big as it's you know been in recent years because they've never had a more experienced defense. So it's not just a credit to the coaching staff, but just the fact that you've got juniors and seniors that say, hey, we're going to do these all these checks, be ready to go, so... They'll have some new things, but it's it's really not all that important. It's also just a function of where we are on the calendar. Yeah. Lastly, uh, this one was cool, and I'm going to defer mostly to you here because this was my let's see third whiteout. Um, and the first one was 2012, which was five o'clock game. It's very different, you know, when it's it's nighttime and it's whiteout, but they're trailing Ohio State and there seems to be very little hope for a victory as opposed to last you know t- two nights ago and Ohio State a year ago. But on TV.
0: Reader writes in the why not look like the best one ever was it? Yes, yes, it was. It was. It was a spectacle, man. i was, and I've used that word like four or five times. Um, just sitting up there where we sat a half hour before the game, the student section not full, but you know, considering where they're at every other week, I mean, yeah, was it might have been pretty darn, pretty it, darn close. Twenty minutes it was packed. Yeah, I mean it, that was that was something to watch, and you know. It, w- we judge this, you know, in the press box by the press box shaking. I mean, you sit, and you sit there, and you hear the chants, and you see the people jumping up and down, and you can feel it. And, and that's, you fear
1: for your life momentarily, you and then you get over it.
0: Yeah, you did a pregame video, and you were not shaking your hand. I mean, you were literally yeah. shaking your whole body because it—it's it, really cool. I mean, it's there. There's nothing else in college football like it, and and everybody does the color thing nowadays. But it's just—it's so crazy just to look out, and that's—I mean, that's. It's something I I don't know how to explain it. You wrote the story on it last week with the players trying to explain it. They couldn't do it. No. But yeah, best one that I've seen. Um, you know, I've seen a bunch of them. I love the uh, of course the the student whiteout. I think is pretty cool in itself. Now you kind of get to you know if the students want to have a whiteout, then everybody else tries to to join in, which shouldn't be the case. Um, but full stadium whiteout, the, the Beaver Stadium attendance record. Uh, it was something special. It was. Uh, you know, it, it was the best I've seen. I guess I'll say that.
1: Yeah. I mean, Kind of, you have the numbers backed up. We got the videos backed up. I don't think there's any more debate. It was a big win. Oh, and the
0: flashlight. You know, yeah. we saw that against Georgia State. That was that was pretty damn cool. So right, uh, yeah. Sort of new twists on old things, um, and, and and it was loud. It was really, really, really loud. And that's uh, that's what you wanted a night game at Beaver Stadium. And that's why they continue to do the whiteout. And that's why they're you know part of reason they're having so much success in the recruiting trail is fan support. I mean, it's crazy. You know how badly. I was shaking in that video
1: and I took it. That you mentioned that I tweeted out, not because of the video itself, but because I rearranged my words where you might have thought I had a problem because you just I look back at it when you would retweet it, I was like, Oh thanks, Sean. And then I read it and it's like the shaking in video the not from hand my but the student section and I go okay. This needs to come down because I may have been wow. outside tailgating for a little bit, but I was not participating in the same events and games everybody else was. <laughs> However, you by reading that tweet would have thought that I had been. Uh, so I, it's possible um, I read it perfectly straight. <laughs> so that that, that my, be a credit to see, my tailgate. See, I skills. left you yeah, yeah behind
0: with about an hour to spare at the tailgate. So maybe that clears up what you were uh, up to once they left. I think you were still shaking from holding the Penn State needs a football. Uh, excuse me, Penn State needs a fullback sign at uh, at game day. That was pretty. Sweet. This is quickly morphing into a dead horse. I'm going to tweet tweet. it every day.
1: Listen, I was the one who sent it to you. I tweeted it first. Like I have ownership of this. It was fun. It was a good joke. It It would have been tweet of the week had we been able to make our own submissions. It might still be. You never know. Well, I think we already uh, said that the guy who wanted to ask you about the best punters the last ten years in the NCAA that, was that, the that, runner up.
0: That was a legitimate question, and 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 I just don't watch enough punting. And, you know, I'm I'm a long snapper. Are you going to work yeah. on that then? Yeah. You don't watch enough now. Are you going to watch some well, more? You 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 mentioned these advanced punting metrics, and you know maybe I'm going to dive into that. But yeah, so you're going to read something I wrote. That that would be news unto itself, huh? Well, there's always a catch. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, this has been fun
1: Monday episode of the uh, Lions 24/7 podcast in the books. Ohio State coming up. You know, Michigan week, at least for me, flew by, and I think this one will be the same. Biggest game of the year in the Big Ten. Perhaps college football, we'll see how it all pans out. And we will see you on Friday and then in Columbus for number two, Penn State, number six, Ohio State. Can't wait. Ain't
0: no telling where I'm feeling hey, hey, I'm beyond.